Joseph uh, over the years that I've been preaching, but usually it's like I reference Joseph or I'll do a sermon on the life of Joseph. Um, but last year when I was thinking it through and praying through our year together, um, I just really had it on my heart to spend a number of weeks in the life of Joseph. And, and I just want you to know, even, even back when I first uh, decided to do a series on the life of Joseph, I wasn't aware of what the Lord would reveal to me. But just in getting ready for this series, uh, I've been really challenged by this incredible life that we actually have a really big picture of in Scripture. There's a lot of people in Scripture that you get like a small snapshot of their lives. And then there's a few where you see a lot. And Joseph is one of those people that we we start out with Joseph when he's 17 years old. And then we see him uh, into him becoming a very old man. And he's got a lot of ups and downs. And he's used mightily by God. And a lot of times when we think of a guy like Joseph, um, we think about the blessing of God on him. And we think about kind of his success. And the title of the series is just how to have a successful life, right? We're, we're looking at Joseph's life of success, and what, did that, what does that mean for us? But it's a different kind of success than you might think, all right? And so as I've been getting ready for, for Joseph, I was thinking, for one thing, I just want you to kind of be aware a little bit of the biblical story. Joseph, if you're reading Genesis, it almost seems like Joseph is a detour. Okay? So if you're somebody who really studies the Bible very carefully, you, you'll notice that through the book of Genesis and throughout the whole Bible, there's a lot of emphasis on, in the Old Testament, the lineage of Jesus, okay? which was the tribe of Judah, um, which guys like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Rahab, Tamar, some of these people are in the line of Jesus, right? So eventually Jesus is born through this line of people. Well, Joseph is not actually in the line of Jesus. He's, he's a part of a different tribe. In Israel. And so this story, it almost seems like, like God's people are trucking along, okay, in the Old Testament, and then there's this detour that like goes over here. And what's kind of bizarre about the story of Joseph and this detour is that Joseph is actually the guy that is responsible for the people of Israel ending up in Egypt for 400 years. And again, if you're familiar at all with the biblical story, that's where the Israelites spent 400 years in slavery under the Egyptian people. They were oppressed, they were in slavery. And so if you're reading, you're going like, Lord, why? Like, what, what is this? Like, for, for one, like, why are we diverting from the normal part of the story? And then, and then why did Joseph lead your people into Egypt for 400 years of oppression and slavery and struggle and misery? Like, why, why did that happen? And one of the things that, that we learn in, in the scriptures is that God often uses the really difficult times in our life to shape us and to mold us. He actually uses suffering for good things. It's hard to see it in the midst of suffering. And actually, when you face suffering, there's lots of good questions that come up, usually that start with the word why. Why this? Like, why does this happen? And we're just, sometimes we're overwhelmed. Why did so-and-so have to die? Why? Whatever. All of these different things that, that come up. So in suffering, we have all these why questions. But we see in this story, this is kind of like a detour, but God is doing something really unique and special in, in not, just, not just one person's life, but in the lives of all of his people, Israel. And I also, well, this is, this is really um, striking to the heart of my belief system as I study this story. 
I've often, maybe you've heard about Joseph before, maybe you've read the story, but a lot of times when I read about Joseph, I think about my dreams. So, Joseph, he's the dreamer, okay? So if you're familiar with all the story, you know that he gets these dreams from God about how someday he's going to rule, and his family's all going to bow down before him. He's pretty excited about it. And then he becomes somebody who can interpret dreams, right? So there's all these, like, connections with Joseph around being a dreamer and being able to interpret dreams. And, and a lot of times we think of the story, we think about our own dreams. For, for years, when I studied the life of Joseph, I thought a lot about, like, the dreams God's put in my heart. And I think about how I'm kind of, maybe I'm like Joseph, and I have these dreams that God wants me to fulfill. I have these things, these gifts, or these abilities that God wants to use in my life in some significant way. And I, and I, I, I put myself in, in the story as if I'm, like, a little bit like Joseph. But you know, like, I'm, as I'm studying through the life of Joseph, I'm starting to realize, like, that God has equal love for all of the people of Israel and even all of the Egyptians in this story whose names we don't know. So Joseph is the guy that he gets the dream, and, and he first off, he thinks that things are kind of all about him, like most of us would. But what he learns along the way is that there's a bigger story going on, and he's actually not the focal point. God is the focal point. And it's really rocking me about Joseph because I think we have a tendency to read the Bible kind of with like individualistic ideas where it's like, it's about me somehow. It's about my dreams and God doing these things for me and making me a success and making me all these things. But in the story of Joseph, you see God's love is for all of these actually millions of people whose names we don't know. And I don't know about you, but I find that really comforting because I think that there's a really big temptation for us to get focused on me which means when things aren't going well in my life, we look at the lives of other people who things are going well for, and we think, well, God must love them more than he loves me. Things are going better in their life, and maybe they're more called by God, maybe they're whatever, and, and we just have this like wrong idea about God. But what I'm seeing from the life of Joseph is God, God gives this very imperfect person this dream, and he uses him to do something great for all of these people. But Joseph is very flawed. He's not more special. He's not more loved by God. God actually does what he does in Joseph for the sake of all of the people that he loves. And it's also for his own sake, God's glory. So there's really powerful things going on. I'm excited to um, get into this story over these next few weeks. And we're going to start with Joseph's dreams. And I'm just, the title of today's message is The Purpose of a Dream. And uh, before I read it, I'm just going to pray. And I'm, I'm just praying that the Lord would speak to us. Um, the message he has on his heart that we hear his voice today as we look into the story. Uh, and I believe that what he has to share with us from Scripture is applicable to all of us if our hearts are open. So let's just pray and we'll read this. Lord, uh, I just want to thank you for this story in Scripture. Thank you for Joseph. Um, in some ways, as we talked about it, it seems almost like a bit of a, a detour. But Lord, you, you had this incredible plan for Joseph, but it was actually for all of the people of his day. You were, you were using him um, in, in a really significant way, but you were revealing your love for the world. And you were also revealing the fact that you're the real hero of the story. You're the one that gets the glory. And so Lord, I just pray that even as we, as we read this, that you would challenge our hearts with maybe false ideas we have about you, false ideas we have about gifts and abilities and dreams. And just bring us all, Lord, into a place of being in alignment with your will, your purposes, your plans. And may we joyfully just say yes to you, whatever that looks like. In Jesus' name, amen. 
uh, Genesis chapter 37. So Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan, where his father had lived as a foreigner. <clears throat> this is the account of Jacob and his family. It's really interesting. Here's, here's where the detour starts. This is the account of Jacob, and then it jumps to his son Joseph. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. We'll just pause for a second. Just, just, I, I just want to challenge you as you read scripture to catch some of the things that are going on. So Joseph, he's the 17-year-old, his dad's Jacob. We know that, okay? And then the scriptures casually say he worked for his brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah, which neither one of them are actually official wives. So Jacob, Joseph's dad, he had two wives and two concubines, and through them, he had 12 sons. Okay, well, I won't say any more about that, but I just want you to imagine the drama that's in your family, okay? Okay, so some of the drama you feel, maybe you come, maybe you have a blended family, maybe you don't have a blended family, there's probably still drama. But just imagine there are four wives with 12 sons from those four wives, and Jacob, we're not gonna learn about this as much in this story, but Jacob actually, he picks favorites among his wives and his sons. So just imagine the drama, okay? I just want you to be aware of some of the drama, some of the tension. And then Joseph, this younger brother, brings a bad report um, to his dad about his brothers, some of them from different moms who were least or less favorite. All of those kinds of things are going on, okay? So verse 3, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. One night, Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field, tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed down before mine. Joseph thought his brothers would be excited about that. As much as he is. His brothers responded, so do you think that you'll, you'll be our, you think you'll be our king, do you? Do you actually think he'll reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. So he tells them another one. Soon Joseph had another dream, and again he told his brothers about it. Listen, I have another dream, he said. The sun, moon, and eleven stars bowed down before me. This time he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers. But his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? While his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what his dreams were. Soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their flocks at Shechem. When they had been gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, Your brothers are pasturing the sheep at Shechem. Get ready, and I will send you to them. I'm ready to go, Joseph replied. Go and see how your brothers and the flocks are getting along, Jacob said. Then come back and bring me a report. So Jacob sent him on his way, and Joseph traveled to Shechem from their home in the valley of Hebron. When he arrived there, a man from the area noticed him wandering around the countryside. What are you looking for, he asked. I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph replied. Do you know where they are pasturing their sheep? Yes, the man told him. They moved on from here, but I heard them say, let's go on to Dothan. So Joseph followed his brothers to Dothan and found them there. So from just from what we read today, I want to focus in on the purpose of a dream. And here's the three uh, main takeaways that I want to highlight from this story. So the first one is the dream is not all about you. The dream is not all about you. Second, jealousy and pride will distort the dream. 
And third, you are probably not a dreamer. Okay? I want you to remember, there are literally millions of people alive at this time, and they're all about to be affected by a famine that's going to affect the known world. And God gives a couple of people, a few, dreams. But two that have to do with this famine. So there's Joseph, and then there's the Pharaoh in, in, in Egypt. So there's all these people that God is going to reveal his love to, that he's going to reveal his plan to. They're not the dreamers. Okay? There's a couple people that get the dream, but God's desire is to, is to impact them all. So the dream's not all about you. Jealousy and pride will distort the dream, and you're probably not the dreamer. And that's okay. So the first one, the dream uh, is not all about you. So Joseph is 17 years old when we when we encounter him. And and as I've highlighted, there's probably a lot. I wouldn't even say there's probably. The scriptures make it really clear. There is a lot of family tension in Joseph's family. So he's, at this point, he's got one younger brother, but the scriptures don't say whether he's born yet. So he's the youngest of 11 brothers, and they're a blended family. Okay, so Jacob's got four wives, and and it's a mess. If If you're familiar at all with the story, the reason Jacob ended up with four wives is because he wanted one. Her name was Rachel. But he was deceived by his father in law into working all kinds of years uh, for Rachel, and then his father-in-law deceived him and gave, gave the older daughter first, which was Leah. So Jacob was mad about it, but he said, well, whatever, I just want Rachel so bad. I'll, I'll work another length of time, seven years. Then he ends up with uh, Rachel and Leah, these two women, right? He, he only wanted one wife, but he ends up with two, so he loves Rachel more, so Leah is, is not paid attention to, doesn't feel loved, whatever. And then, these women, so the way that women found their identity in the ancient world was by having children. And so Leah started, like, popping them up, like, like a rabbit, okay? Like, kids were coming. You see the story? It's like, this one was born, this one was born, this one was born. And so Rachel gets super jealous. She's upset. She's not having children. And so then Rachel sends her slave woman to Jacob and says, well, why don't you have a child through her? And then it'll be like my child, and then I can be with my, my sister, Leah. So... So Rachel's slave woman starts having children, and then Leah gets jealous because she's not having as many anymore. So she sends her slave woman to Jacob. Okay, but do you, do you understand? Like, we don't have to go too deep, but that's a pretty crazy family. Right? Okay, so there's all of this this tension, and and Joseph, he's the youngest of eleven brothers, and the scriptures tell us he's more loved by his dad than anyone else. I actually, some of my kids are in here. Like I, I tell them, like I pick different ones where I'm like, you're my. Favorite. We just do it. They, they say, yeah, Malachi's one to Lucy. They say I say it to Lucy more than I say it to the rest of them, right? Um, but I hope they know that I'm joking. But can you imagine if, like, if it was, like, set in stone, if people knew this is my favorite child, the, the, the tension, the drama that would create. So Joseph is the youngest brother who's already, his older brothers are annoyed by him. And the scriptures say, I don't know if you picked it up, but in verse 3, it says that Joseph would go check on his brothers, and then he'd bring back a bad report to his dad. The, the, the word that's used here in the, in the Hebrew for bad report is a, is a word that indicates that it's possible some of what Joseph was saying was made up. So he's kind of elaborating a little bit, right? So he goes and he sees his brothers, and it's, it's quite possible that he's exaggerating to make his brothers seem worse. Right? So he goes back to his dad, and he's the little brother that's already hated, and he starts paddling on his older brothers, and he's elaborating and making things sound worse than they are. So there's all this family tension. And then God speaks to this young 17-year-old Joseph, 
who's obviously had some pride issues. There's probably some arrogance. You're, you're, you're kind of picking up from the way things are going. And he has this dream. And, and the, the meaning of the dream is clear to everybody. It means, like, what he's saying is, someday you guys are going to bow down before me. Right? His brothers get mad at the first dream, and then God gives him another dream, where the parents also bow down. And everybody's getting mad. But what I'm seeing here in this story is that when Joseph first gets that dream, I think he's kind of like you and I. He actually interprets the meaning of that dream as being self-serving in some way. Like he's got he's this dream, and he sees his brothers bowing down to him, and he's immediately excited because he's like, I'm going to rule. Someday I'm not going to be the little runt, little brother that, that my brothers all you know, don't treat very nice and they disrespect me. I'm not going to be that guy. Someday they're going to bow down before me. Someday I'm going to get the respect that I deserve. And so he starts to think that the dream is somehow about him. And my question to us is, 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 are you and I guilty of that sometimes? That we have like a dream. There's something that we want to do. Maybe it's something you want to accomplish. Maybe it's, maybe it's having a family. It could be something that you consider really simple. But is there a dream in your heart that you desire? But if you're honest, are you more excited about the benefits that you're going to receive than about maybe what God wants to do through you? Like, that's what I see in the, in the story of Joseph. Joseph, when he gets this dream, he's 17 years old, kind of probably cocky, a bit arrogant, and he starts thinking, like, someday I'm going to get it. Someday I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to accomplish this goal, this dream. And he's self-focused. And I, I don't know um, how honest you are with, with yourself about some of these things, but, I, like, as I read that, I'm like, man, that's totally me sometimes. One of my favorite stories in Scripture is the story of Gideon. If you're familiar with all the story of Gideon, uh, God raises up Gideon at a time when Israel is really struggling. And he says, Gideon, I'm going to send you out. You're going to defeat your enemies. And, he's, and God says to Gideon, I'm going to, I'm going to make it, I'm going to do the impossible through you. And so Gideon, is, he's facing off with a, against an army of Midianites. There's 135,000 of them. And Gideon starts off with an army of 32,000. You know what God says to Gideon? He says, you have too many people. I'm going to whittle it down. So Gideon has to do two tests. And eventually, he whittles his army down to 300 men. Okay, it's one of the most incredible stories. You can read about it in Judges chapter 6 and 7. And my whole life, okay, whenever I've read about the story of Gideon, I, I've like been really careful to read through, like, what did God do to whittle down the army? He sent away the people that were fearful. He sent away the ones that were irresponsible. And, and, then, and then God used this army of 300 to conquer 135,000 people. Every time I've ever read that, I've thought, I want to be like one of Gideon's 300 men. Like, if that was happening today, I want to be one of the 300, one of the ones that gets chosen, one of the elect, one of the elite. But as I'm, I'm reading the story of Joseph, and then I'm thinking back to Gideon, and I'm like, the story is not about the 300 men. If you, if you read carefully the story of Gideon in Judges 6 and 7, the emphasis is on God, the one that is doing the impossible through, through people that are failures. And if you read the story of Gideon carefully, you realize Gideon was so flawed that he would have probably been one of the ones that was sent home if he was the leader of the army. And there's this theme in Scripture that I think a lot of times we read stories like, like Gideon, and we read about Joseph, and we read about Moses, and we think, I want to be like that. I want to be one of God's elite. I want to be the one that's... And we're, we're sort of self-focused, and we're not realizing that like the plan is actually bigger than us. And so what the Scriptures teach us is that the dream is not about you and I. It's actually, it's about God and his glory, and it's about the people that God wants to show love to through you. If you're the one with the dream, if you're the one with the desire, if you're the one that God wants to do something through, like, 
it's actually more about God than it is about you. But we get this faulty thinking in our minds that it's about us. And I'm so guilty of it. When I think about all the dreams I want to see accomplished, I think about the self-benefit. But when I read the scripture, I'm like, what Joseph had to learn through suffering, what Gideon had to learn, what Moses had to learn, was that it wasn't about them, their comfort. It was actually about the glory of God. And it was about God's desire to show love to the masses of people whose names we don't even know. The second one is that jealousy and pride will distort the dream. So jealousy and pride. There's lots of examples. If you read this story, you see lots of instances where jealousy and pride seem to rule the day. This should be, a version of this should be up on the uh, screen. I put perspective up here. Uh, I just want you to think about this for a second. If Joseph, okay, and we're going to get into the whole story, so um, if you're familiar uh, with the story of Joseph at all, just think about it from this perspective. If Joseph could have seen from God's perspective, he would have known that God gave him those dreams so that he could save his brothers and their families and all of the land. And if Joseph's brothers could have seen from God's perspective, they would have known that God gave Joseph those dreams because of his love for all of them. See, Joseph's brothers were a bit jaded because their earthly father, Jacob, kicked favorites. Joseph was his favorite. But God's not like that. I don't know where you're at in your, in your family or your upbringing or if you feel like you've been overlooked or you feel like other people have been picked ahead of you, or other people have a better life over the top of you. But oftentimes, if we feel that way, we go through life, and we see other people that seem like things just work out better for them. They have a better life. They make more money. Their family situation is better. They haven't gone through a divorce. Whatever it is. And we just, we interpret that a lot like Joseph's brothers, and we think that that's, that's how God is too. Because their earthly father did choose favorites. And so it was for them to be jealous of Joseph made a whole lot of sense because they had experienced being uh, cast aside, having a father that was picking favorites. But you know what we learn in the story of Scripture is that God, he's not like that. I don't know what your background is or if you, if you are tempted to feel that way, but I just want you to know God does not pick favorites. And that when he raises somebody up, you know, he, he raised Joseph up because of his love, because of God's love for Joseph's brothers and Joseph's family and for the people of Egypt even. God wasn't picking favorites because Joseph was somehow elite. You know, we actually see in the story how Joseph is quite flawed as well in some of the things that he does, how he harbors unforgiveness in his heart towards his brothers and there's pride that gets in. He's just as flawed as anybody else, but God raises him up for a purpose. But jealousy and pride will distort the dream. I just want to, I want you to think about this. So, if you're in a, a church setting, or a business setting, or wherever, and your best friend, or your sibling, gets chosen over you for some uppity job, like, would you feel insecure at all? I just want you to, like, you think about it. Okay, so you're in a group, and, and, you know, somebody in that group who you're really close to, they get chosen, and, and it just looks like they're getting all the honor, they're getting all the prestige. Is there insecurity that would well up in I think probably most of us would say, yeah. I'm going to use a, an illustration. There's a picture of the Thunder Bay Hospital on here. Um, if you know me at all, you know, I've talked about this before. I love the Thunder Bay Regional Hospital.
having as many kids as I do, I've spent a lot of time there. Um, emergency room, like, a few weeks ago I was there for a couple nights. And I'm, I'm fascinated by the way the hospital runs. And I just want you to, I put a couple things up on the, on the slide here. Um, the, this is off their website. So the vision statement for the Thunder Bay Regional uh, Health and Sciences Center is exceptional care for every patient every time. We don't need to debate whether you've experienced that, okay? <laughs> I was like typing that out, putting that up there, and I'm like, someone's gonna stand up and be like, I did not receive exceptional care, okay? But that's the vision, okay? That's obviously when they set out to become a hospital that's effective, that's what their goal is, okay? Whether they hit that on the nail on the head of the time is, is left to be seen. But there are, uh, this is off their website, there's 2,800 staff, 500 volunteers. They operate on a $300 million budget. And they serve a population of about 250,000 people. So, and I'm always fascinated. When I go into the Thunder Bay Hospital, and just what fascinates me is just the efficiency of how things run. And, and uh, there's people in the hospital who are a little bit more elite by human standards than some. Okay, so when you work in a place like that, if you're a surgeon, by human standards, you're probably a little bit higher up the ladder than somebody who cleans the room or by the parking lot attendant, or whatever, right? But I was just like, what fascinates me with the hospital, they have this singular vision where they just, if I was gonna dumb down that vision statement, I'd just say, help sick people, okay? Their vision is to help sick people. And I was just like, I was in, I was in one of the rooms and I was just watching the care that my son was receiving and I was watching the doctors come in and I was so appreciative and, and he got some really, really great care and I started thinking I was so appreciative for these really skilled doctors. But then I got thinking like, what if the person that was responsible to clean the room didn't do their job? So people are responsible to clean the scalpels and to clean all of the medical tools that are used in certain operations and things. Like what if the person that was doing the cleaning didn't do their job? And then my son got a really bad infection and got really sick and maybe died because the cleaner didn't do their job, right? Or what if it was just chaos? Like what if, what if there was no system for parking your vehicles and getting ambulances in and, and there was just no way to even get in and get the help you needed because nobody was taking care of like parking? Or what if there was no security so that you're in an emergency? I don't know if you've been in an emergency a lot, but sometimes crazy things happen in the emergency room, okay? And there's a security team that's ready. When somebody just gets freaking out or like doing all kinds of crazy things, people respond and they take that person out so that the people that are really sick can still get the help they need. Like what if that didn't operate well? Right? What if the person that is responsible to clean the room in the hospital was like, they saw the surgeon coming in, they're like, it must be nice to be a surgeon. Must be nice to be able to buy an island that you can hang around for a month and get your vacation. Like, must be nice to be able to do whatever you want. So they stopped doing their, their job. Right? What, if, what if that jealousy took over and the people that were doing the littler tasks just couldn't handle the fact that there was people that were doing things that seemed like was more prestigious or held more honor? You know, so jealousy, and I was thinking about the way the hospital runs, and it fascinates me. And I look at people that have, the, by human standards, what looks like a simple job, and I'm like, those jobs are so vital and so important in order for what needs to be done to get done. And it's similar in, in the story of, of Joseph. You know, it fascinates me when I think about it, and we're going to read it. There's this famine that, that, that strikes the land, and things get really bad. And Joseph implements this system to preserve food so that millions of people don't die. And you know, it took thousands and thousands of people to carry out the plan that Joseph had. And you and I remember just a couple names from that. Remember Joseph, maybe remember some of his brothers, remember the Pharaoh. But there were thousands of people that actually helped to carry that out. And, and do you know that it's so, it's so human of us 
to let jealous be in, and we don't even want to be a part of something unless we can be the top dog. Or we don't want to be a part of it, you know, alongside of somebody who it looks like things are better for them. We, we have a hard time serving and maybe what looks like a menial task. But can you imagine if, if the people at the Thunder Bay Hospital thought that way? Imagine if the only people that showed up to work were the surgeons. Nobody would be able to get operated on. They'd have no tools. They'd have no room to work in. They wouldn't be able to get in because of the parking, whatever. Like, it would just be absolute chaos. And I think about this story of Joseph. We, when we read this through human terms, we, we elevate a guy like Joseph as like, I want to be like Joseph. I want to be the one with the dream. I want to be the one that gets the blessing and the honor and the success. But if we look at the story that way, we're missing something entirely. And you know, a lot of times, we do let pride and jealousy distort the dream. And I was thinking about even, even a, a small example like, like TC at, at church here. You know, it, it would be easy to be jealous of others who, who get roles that seem like they're better or whatever the case may be. And we let jealousy in, and it just causes us to kind of shrivel back and shrink back. And unless I can have the best, unless I can have the success, like, I don't know what I want to plug and bring in. And what I'm seeing in the life of, of Joseph in this story is that God actually has this plan that is for everybody. And, and everybody's roles are different. And God is not like Jacob. If you look at Joseph's dad, Jacob, in the story, it's almost like he's pitted against God. Jacob is he's a loving dad, but he's very flawed. He shows favoritism because of the, his choices. There's all kinds of family drama. But God's not like that. God does not show favoritism. When he chooses a person, it's not because he loves them more. It's because he wants to reveal his glory. And actually, that's why God sometimes chooses the worst choice. You know, like, if you look at if you study back in history, some of the people that were used so greatly by God, you're like, couldn't there have been somebody better? Like, when I read the story of Gideon, I'm like, God, wasn't there a better guy? Like, he asked you for multiple signs, and even then it wasn't enough. And then after Gideon was used so mightily by God, he actually went off into sin after that. And I'm like, God, wasn't there a better option than Gideon? But it's almost like God's point was to say, I'm not choosing based on favoritism. I want people to see that it's about my glory, and it's about serving and loving other people. So jealousy and pride distort the dream. And the third, the third takeaway, the third point from this is that it's okay if you're not the dreamer. I just want to give you permission, and this is maybe the point I was most excited about, because uh, I I've very rarely have read the story of Joseph or any biblical story this way. Usually I read a story like Joseph, and I walk away with this pressure of like, I've got to be like Joseph. I have, to, I have to have this big dream. I have to have this big thing that I'm thinking about. I have to accomplish this big vision. And as I was reading it this time, I was like, no, God is doing something so much bigger than just serving Joseph's ego or, or serving Joseph's own personal individual desires. God had a plan for the whole world. It's actually kind of similar to why Jesus came. <laughs> for the, the most famous scripture in all, all of the Bible is, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believes in him. Not perish, but have everlasting life. God has a plan for the whole world, which is why He sent Jesus. Jesus came to reveal the plan of God. It wasn't even about Jesus, even though He was God. He didn't fight for this position. He didn't fight to be recognized. He surrendered His life for the sake of everybody to reveal God's love for the whole world. And so, uh, it's okay if you're not the dreamer. I give an illustration with this is. Uh, I read a biography about Rosa Parks recently, and there's a new picture of her up on the screen. If you're familiar with her name, you know 
Um, you might know Rosa Parks as the woman that refused to uh, move to a different seat on her bus in Montgomery, Alabama, back when it was illegal um, for black people to sit in the same row as, as white people. And in 1955, she refused to get up and move from her seat. You, unless you've studied her story, you might not know that, we, we might not even know Martin Luther King Jr. if it wasn't for Rosa Parks. She's like the kind of the mother of the civil rights movement. The civil rights movement uh, is something that changed the trajectory of black people in America uh, incredibly significantly. That fight is still being fought today, but she's a major player in the story. And you know what's incredible? As I studied Rosa Parks' life, I was thinking about Joseph, and I was just thinking about how God works. Like, she's the one, she's not even the person that has this famous speech, I had a dream. Okay, so Martin Luther King Jr., he's the guy that has the speech, right? I had a dream, right? And we know Martin Luther King Jr.'s name, we know Rosa Parks' name. If you've really studied civil rights, you may know a few other names, but probably not very many. But do you know that the, the, what she did on that bus in Montgomery, Alabama in 1955, was, was she actually launched a boycott that lasted for 381 days. So it was illegal for, for black people and white people to sit beside each other on this bus, and there were people that were just growing tired of it. And they were like, enough is enough. And they were, they were actually trying to figure out a way to have a court case um, take place that could actually change the law, and they couldn't find the right person to do it. And when Rosa Parks didn't get up and move from her seat that day, the, the civil rights activist group that was involved in trying to make this plan happen said Rosa Parks is the perfect candidate for this job. She's happily married, she's faithful to her husband, she serves in her church, she's just, she kind of checks all the boxes. Nobody can say anything negative about her. So they used this case four days after this event, the boycott started. And what's fascinating, so it lasted 381 days, but there were 30,000 black people in Montgomery, Alabama that refused to use a bus for, the, for that whole period of time. And what's, what's crazy about it is that there, were this, there was this like underground taxi cab service that, that just started up with like 34 cars. Churches were donating cars. People figured, people all over the city, thousands and thousands of people figured out a way to get black people to and from their jobs instead of them having to use the bus. That was the only way that this could actually last because people still needed to work, they still needed to pay, you know, to buy groceries to feed their family. But this bus boycott is gonna be a statement of like things have to change. And there were thousands and thousands of people that were involved in Montgomery, Alabama. But then beyond that, all over the states in the civil rights movement, people just joined this cause. And again, this is what's fascinating about the story. I'm like, we don't know those people's names. Most of the people, like 99.999% of the people that were involved in this incredible movement are not the one that had the dream. Rosa Parks isn't even the one that had the speech. I had the dream. She was a part of it. But there was, it was like God raised up a few significant leaders in that movement, Martin Luther King Jr., Rosa Parks, and there were others. But it took a whole multitude of people. And I'm thinking about this as it relates to the gospel, and I'm like, I think sometimes we read stories like Joseph, and, and we're so individualistic in our thinking because of the, the current world we live in, that we just think it's all about us, and we think, I have to have a dream. I have to go start this ministry from scratch, or I have to do something. And you know, God is calling most of us to be a part of the thing that he is, is initiating in our city, you know, so it could mean volunteering at a place like, like Grace Place, or, or Teen Challenge, or Northwind, or Healing Rooms, and Dixie Street. Like, it could be like, God stirs your heart for what he's doing in the city, and you get involved in that. Like, we don't have to read the story of Joseph and think, I have to be the one that has the dream. I have to be the one that enacts this. 
Because if we do that, we're totally misreading God's lesson to us in the scripture. His lesson to us is that he has a plan and he's the hero. It's his plan. He's the one that's the hero. He's the one that gets the fanfare. He's the one that gets the recognition. I think that's why he often uses imperfect people. I don't know, if you read the Bible looking for all these perfect examples of heroes, you're going to be disappointed. Like, man, these guys are all so flawed. They so many mistakes. But God's not trying to draw attention to these, like, superhuman people. He's saying, these are people that just submitted to my will and my desires. But that's what God's calling you and I to do and to be a part of, is to submit to him and to his ways, to his plan. And God will spark your heart with being involved in something. And maybe you are the dreamer. Maybe God has put a vision or a dream in your heart. And if he has, I encourage you to run for that wholeheartedly. But I encourage you to check your heart. Is there, is there like pride? Is there jealousy in there? Is there self-focus in any way? Like, what is God asking me and calling me to be a part of? We wouldn't know Rosa Parks or Martin Luther King Jr. if everybody in that movement felt like they had to be the dreamer. Would, Joseph wouldn't have been able to save the known world if everybody felt like, I have to be the one with the dream. I have to be the one that's chosen by the king. God used so many people with his plan. And so the, the focus in all of this is, is the plan of God, the glory of God. And my, my question to you today, I'm going to invite the band to come up, but have, like, have you had a, a, a moment or a time in your life where you've just surrendered your will to Jesus? Like, whatever that looks like. And is it okay with you if you're not kind of the one that has the spotlight shone on? Like, is it okay with you to just say yes to Jesus, whatever that might look like? Maybe it does mean having the spotlight. Maybe it does mean being the front runner. But have you have you had a, a moment in your life where you're like, God, I just I want to be a part of what you're doing. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, not my will, but yours be done. Like God's will, not mine. And so, and maybe you're a follower of Jesus today, and, you're, and it's like. A moment where you're like, God, oh, I just want to completely and totally surrender to you. And, and again, um, if, if, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Christ and you're hearing about God's plan for the world and you, you, you're not surrendering your life to Jesus, um, I just want to encourage you to, to take that step and to, to surrender your life to Jesus. He's the Savior. He's not putting pressure on us to be the Savior. He does the work. We get to be a part of it if we surrender As always, if you're if the Lord's speaking to you at all um, during the worship or the message, and you want to come up at the end and just pray um, at the altar, I just invite you to do that. If you want to spend some time just in prayer um, while we worship, um, you'd be invited to do that. And I'm just going to just read the three points from this before I pray. The, the dream is not all about you. Jealousy and pride distort the dream, and it's okay if you're not. Lord, um, I, just, I just thank you, God, for, for your word. And, and Lord, I just want to be the first one to say I, I am challenged when I read the story of Joseph because the human side of me, I want to put myself in the story. I want to figure out how I'm the, the, dream, the dreamer, how I can have the kind of success that Joseph had. And, and Lord, what, what the scriptures show us, what the scriptures teach us is that you actually have a much bigger plan than Joseph's version of what success looked like in his life. Lord, you had a plan to save the world from this famine. You had a plan for your people, Israel, through what was going to happen in Egypt. And, and Lord, I just pray um, that you would do a mighty work in my heart, and I pray that I would be able to be completely surrendered to your will and your way. And for 
be at work in our hearts, Jesus. And Lord, if there's, if there's someone here today that doesn't know you, I just pray that you give them the boldness um, to pray and to surrender their lives to you, Jesus. We thank you for what you've done for us on the cross. We thank you for your resurrection.